From the city of brotherly love and the great state of Ohio, this is Dadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. Hey, uh, Mike, how's your listening these days? Oh, uh, I just finished Dolly Parton's America while I was on my camping road trip. That podcast is fantastic. Jad and Shima are crazy geniuses. Okay. So how about your listening in general? Oh, yeah. Um, Since the new Song Exploder show came out on Netflix and they did an episode on the song Losing My Religion by R.E.M., I've been kind of on an R.E.M. kick lately. So that's that's music listening. I mean, just like listening, like in life. Um, I mean, I was at the doctor in June. You know, my ears are kind of messed up. Not hearing. Listening. Well, clearly my listening skills need a little work. Well, I mean, you're you're not alone, right? It's hard to listen, like really listen to other people. Um, I know that probably 90% of the time when we're listening to someone else, we're really thinking about the thing that we're going to say next based on like the first five or 10 seconds of what the other person has said, if we're being really, really generous. I mean, even that thing that we do, you know, where it's like reflective listening, where you repeat back what the the person said before, eh, deep in your heart, you're really working on what you're going to say next, right? So, JC, what I hear you saying is that I might not be doing the best listening, even when I'm doing reflective listening. I, I am willing to bet, sir, that that is, in fact, the case. My kids actually told me not long ago that I have a tell uh, when I'm waiting for the other person to finish talking. I actually put my right index finger over my lips. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's, it's horrible that you have a tell. It's even worse that your kids notice. And you know what? You're, you're probably not in tune enough yet to start suppressing it, are you? I kind of hit the trifecta there. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's rough. My kids just assume that I'm not listening. So they will talk about something and I'll hear every word of it. I will digest it and I don't react. And, and then they just go on about their lives like I didn't hear it and I surprise them with it later. Hmm. There you go again with your non-reactive superior listening. Well, shaming us all. I mean, I'm trying to get good at it, right? Like I do things like put down my book or my tablet or whatever thing I've got in my hand if my wife starts to talk because I want to show that I'm listening. But, you know, again, I might be thinking a little bit more about what I'm going to say than what she's actually saying, if I'm honest. Do you do you look over the tops of your glasses? I wear progressive lenses, Michael, and I'm a little bit sensitive about it. Um Hmm. <laughs> we're just covering all of our physical issues this, this, this week aren't we this is what happens when we get old next stop we're talking about medications we're not doing that we're not going to do that show by the way you know when we talked to billy baker uh to kick off the season he had talked about how important it is for us to think about making friends in small rooms like to get off social media and connect with people in a setting where you can kind of be real with each other and That takes a lot of work. And I've started to think about how much of that work is really just listening to the other person or people, like learning their stories, their concerns and what really matters to them. And I mean, you could argue that listening is the central skill for making friends as an adult. Um, If we want to feel more connected and less isolated, we kind of have to practice our listening skills a little bit. So it's interesting you say that because... 
what I've been learning as I'm, you know, thinking about this and doing some research for, for this season of the podcast is that the two places in society where the most innovative work is happening around connecting with people in small groups are religion and politics. And they're just the things that we're supposed to avoid in polite conversation. But whether we're talking about the movement for black lives or mega churches like Saddleback in California, there are millions of Americans out there who are forming really deep, powerful connections with each other right now through small groups. And we knew we needed some serious help on this one. As we always do. So I reached out to my friend Liz Mosley to join us for this episode. Liz is 97 years old and has been organizing small listening groups at our local Quaker meeting for over 40 years. Now, Quakerism is not a, a household name other than the oatmeal, perhaps, but uh, it's a Protestant Christian faith that started in England in the 1600s. And the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, fun fact, was founded by William Penn, a Quaker, and about half of the practicing Quakers in America today are living in Pennsylvania. Also known as the Quaker state. That is correct, sir. Are we going to make some oatmeal jokes? We are not... Quaker steak and lube wings are pretty solid. Quaker steak and lube is a legit place to get hold of some wings. Yes, sir. <laughs> carry on, carry on. <laughs> so I called Liz this week. Uh, no wing recipes were involved, mm -hmm. um, but I did ask her if we could talk about spiritual listening groups at the Quaker meeting. And you're actually going to hear her challenge that term right out of the gate. So from here on out, we will actually refer to them as creative listening groups instead. Let's go to the tape. What do you see as the difference between spiritual listening and other kinds of listening? I'm not sure there is a difference. I think that spiritual listening, I, I'm not, I don't really like the title spiritual listening, Modern life makes intimate fellowship in one's religious community very difficult, and the aim of creative listening group is to deepen interpersonal relationships and then spiritual life. And I, so I think to say spiritual listening is maybe a misnomer because that may, cuts it short. It's really very creative listening with a certain structure to it, design to it. Spiritual listening is very difficult to, to give us a title because it takes time to get to a point where you could listen to other people's spirituality comfortably. So it becomes sort of listening, first of all, and growing in the process. How does it work in a one-on-one -on -one or group setting? What do you do? What does it feel like while it's happening? Most of the groups talk begin by describing to each other what happened in the previous months. It usually only meets once a month. By talking about what's happening the past month helps us sort of catch up with where all of us are, but we just listen. Nobody comments on anything. Then we go on to a question that the group has, and we then discuss that one by one, whoever wants to speak each time. The others just listen. Nobody comments. Nobody interrupts. 
nobody makes uh, corrections or suggestions for how things could be different or what one could do to solve the problem, etc. We just listen. Whatever is said becomes absolutely private so that it never leaves that room. As a result, it makes it a very close group. But the rule is listen, do not interrupt, do not comment. And uh, that gives us a chance to each of us express ourselves, knowing that it'll be private. It makes for very deep friendships. I think you started to answer this question already. I'll ask it all the same. Why is this practice of creative listening important? What does it do for the speaker and for the listeners? It differs with each individual, I think. But I think each individual gives us, first of all, the fact that usually we don't listen to each other. We don't know what the people who go to, for instance, to church or to a meeting are thinking about. We just simply go, and consequently, we don't know where people are. And so it gives us a chance to really know other people very deeply. And it gives us a chance to express ourselves knowing that other people are listening very carefully, not evaluating, not criticizing, and not going to carry it on beyond what one says and keeping it absolutely private. That's a great security and makes it possible to say exactly how one feels and exactly what experiences are. We don't get that often in life except once in a while within our own families, but not with just people we meet. So this makes a huge difference in the way in which we live with these people. They become people that I know, and they know me very deeply. What sorts of questions are helpful to pose when doing creative listening with others? What we do when we first begin is, uh, at least I have for the last two or three groups, start with the pamphlet that was put out by the Claremont Friends, which came actually from uh, someone who did it in New Jersey. But it's a series of questions, starting ones that are fairly obviously and fairly simple, and then moving on to deeper and deeper questions. So, for example, one of the questions is, uh, uh, what do we know of some of all of our grandparents personally or through stories, and what did they mean to us, and did one of them mean it most, and do we see traits in ourselves that these remember in our grandparents? And that's one of the easy questions, and yet one that touches all of us very deeply. And curiously enough, uh, opens up some amazing stories about the past. On the other hand, as you get doing more advanced questions, you might very well get something such as, what is our resources in times of trouble? Do we activate personal or any resources such as prayer, meditation, art, dance, music? Are we at ease to seek outside help? There we're beginning to get into a very much more edging on spirituality. The group I belong to that still is in operation, where most of the leaders in our Quaker meeting are ones who talk 
again, about sometimes about spirituality or something, depth of faith, but sometimes they say, bring in one thing that you really enjoyed and tell us the story of the thing. And then that's a totally different kind of piece, but it's very, very close to the heart. So it tells us a lot about each other. In your experience, how long does it take for people who are opening up to each other in this way to really settle into the practice of creative listening and get comfortable with it? It takes, I think, at least a year or more to be comfortable being absolutely open, but at the same time being listening without any comments whatsoever. That's very difficult for people to do because almost everyone would give a piece of advice if there was a problem. They would uh, want to do something about it, uh, and that's not doesn't help at all. So I think people have to become comfortable over time, and at first they're not. They talk too much. They uh, prattle on about nothing, uh, and the group sort of tolerates and slowly they change it's very interesting how over time people become really good listeners because we know each other so well that we want to we want to feel with the other person in this experience and remember the things that people said i just got a letter from a friend who mentioned one something in one listening group that i said Four years ago, I can't believe that she remembered that all of the time. There's a closeness, but it takes several years or more for that to happen, sometimes more. And so we have to be very patient with each other, and groups fall apart. I watch them, and other groups stay very close together, or they begin to fall apart, then they sort of edge back together, and then they fall apart for a while, and then they really come together very comfortably and easily. And they have to put up with certain things. They sometimes just sit down and talk with each other about how we do this. For instance, how long do we want people to talk? Or if it, be, it begins to bother us that someone in the group does, takes over and really talks for most of the time, how, uh, how important are the problems? We have, the group has to gradually feel itself. And it doesn't always work, but most of the time it does. I want to go back to something you said a moment ago about giving advice and the notion that giving advice to each other is something that a group has to kind of move past. Some people listening to this might be thinking right now, well, what's so bad about giving advice? Why is that a stage that a group has to move beyond in order to really connect with each other? So can you talk about that a little more? By and large, I find most people don't want advice. Most of us, when we're talking, are really not interested in being advised. Uh, and if we have a problem, we're not asking for advice in it. Sometimes afterwards, two people will get together and one will say to the other, well, what did you really think? Would you tell me? And that person might do that, but long after the group has dissolved and everyone else has gone away. But... My, by and large, to be my experience, 
that you can't very well feel comfortable expressing how you feel if you think someone's evaluating or, or ready to give advice. And so you harm the group if you do that. And you harm yourself because rather than listening, you aren't really listening, you're thinking about what you're going to say. And so that's not very helpful at all to, to the whole group. Last question. You have been practicing creative listening within the life of the Quaker meeting, and I'm wondering how the practice has affected your relationships elsewhere in life with family, with friends, with other loved ones. Well, of course, uh, practicing listening is always good for one. I've discovered in family there's nothing better than learning to shut up and listen to the family rather than tell everybody else how they ought to handle the problems they have. Uh, The other thing I think it does, it seems to open up for me and for everybody else one's need to be involved in a group because it brings people so close together. You want to know other people well, as well as you know these people. I've discovered with the group, almost every group that's gone on for more than 10 years, everybody in it becomes an important member of, for instance, our Quaker meeting. And that sort of amazes me. They weren't when they started. They were just on the fringe. They were not that interested. They want to be part of a community. I learned to to learn to listen to other people, how they felt and who they really were. And if you're listening for who they really were, you begin to see who people really are inside, not the casual outside party party talk. It's depth and it makes life so satisfying. Liz Mosley, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Thank you. Okay, wow. First off, allow me to say that if she were to narrate any documentary on any topic, I'm I'm talking about like making butter or, you know, those old school documentaries about like paper manufacturing or those things they did in the 50s, I would watch that stuff all day long to hear that voice. Amazing. Kind of the David Attenborough of Pennsylvania. It, you know, you could do worse. You really could do worse. <laughs> now, I want to. I want to start off by saying there was nothing that she said that I did not find interesting, and there, I felt like there were a million rabbit holes we could go down. But there is one thing that I really wanted to focus in on just for a moment. Just you know, maybe peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, we're to the point now where we've done this podcast enough that I can recognize your vocal pauses based on the waveforms that I see coming across in our in my audio, audio editing software. Um, there were no vocal pauses. Her, her speech was so thoughtful and everything she said was so measured. And I, I don't even know what to do with that. That was disarming in and of itself. I will say, first off, yes. And second, I I think of Liz as someone who has used her time well in just living. You know, she is someone who has has been thoughtful about how she has approached her life and her relationships. And what you say is true and also was not surprising for me as someone who knows her. <laughs> 
Yeah, it it was incredible. And there were certain things that she talked about that I kind of wanted to tease out a little bit. When we talk about family, um, I've I've lost a number of family members over the last couple of years. I know you've had some some losses yourself. We're kind of at that age now where um, we've got uh, what we've got our friends, kids, weddings to look forward to, and just a shed load of funerals. And it has me reflecting a little bit on that and the way that we interact with our own families and the way that we listen or don't listen. I, I'm reminded, especially of my grandmother in her declining years, she would tell the same like three stories over and over again. And I found myself tuning in rather than tuning out and looking for those themes and kind of pulling that out and trying to be there and just be in that space and listen with her. I, I didn't need to talk. You know, she wasn't at that point really needing to hear what I had to say, but I really needed to hear what she was saying. One of the things that, that Liz said that really grabbed my attention was that we're not looking for advice when we talk to people. We're not necessarily actually looking for that feedback. We don't want advice. We don't really want to have the problem solved. We want to share what's inside. We want to put that out there for someone. And perhaps one of the kindest and deepest things we can do is take that in and not regurgitate it. You know, the reflective thing, like maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe it is really about taking that in and listening. Now, have you yourself taken part in any of her groups or a few years back for a couple of years? And I was just about to say that this experience that she's talking about, it packs a punch and it, and it's surprising. You don't really see it coming. You're not aware as you go through your life of how routinely you perform, uh, even even for people very close to you. You're performing for a certain kind of reaction. And when you finally speak and there is no reaction, it changes you. It really has a profound effect on the way you understand yourself and, and also the way you understand other people when you're in their presence and you're just there to listen and nothing else. As she said, you get to know each other in a completely different way. And I do find that it was a relief, you know, not having people offering advice. I love the way she just bats that away. Like, no, people don't want advice. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and, and yet that's the way we all operate. We think that we think that everybody wants advice and they don't. <laughs> and I honestly, what, what checked me was how many times have I actually started telling someone something where I really wanted feedback? And I got to say, when I really put my brain to it, um, it's pretty rare that you're engaging in a, in a conversation with a way that you're feeling or something that you have had as an experience in your life. And you're really fishing for, Hey, so what do you think about that? You know, what, what, what would you do? Like, no, I, I don't know that I've really done that very much. I mean, outside of a therapy session where, you know, you're at, there to work on something. Um, and I, I really, I feel challenged by the way that she talked about that experience and the way that she sort of talked about the approach, because it makes me want to try that. And would it be jarring to engage in a conversation with another adult where you truly listen and don't have that? Like, are we prepared for that as people living in 2020? In, in Liz's spirit, I would say the answer to that is a resounding yes. We are always prepared. We, we, we have it within us. Whether or not we're aware of it is another story. I take her point to be that we all have it within us to perform this kind of listening, but we have to recognize that it takes work to 
kind of unearth it from within yourself and that you have a whole lot of layers of armor um, that you have to work down through yourself. And that's kind of the sneaky, smart thing about it. It's like, it's not, you know, when you talk about therapy, I mean, I've, I've done therapy work over the years. It's been incredibly helpful. Um, it's a collaborative process. This thing, you know, where you're doing the work of taking off the armor and really all that everybody else in the room is doing is just committing to be there with you. And, you know, and honestly, you don't know what they're thinking about. Like they, they look like they're listening. You don't know for certain, but when they're completely non-reactive, then it kind of turns it back to you. Like you've got to do the work that is not ever going to go out of style. People may be reluctant to have a go at it. It may feel weird. It certainly felt strange when I started in that group, but you get used to it fairly quickly and you start to settle in. And I feel like there's almost a sort of call to action, again, to to go back to the way that she so matter-of-factly talked about this approach uh, to, to talking with people and to engaging with people. And it, I feel like it's something I have to try now. It's I feel, I feel like I have to be mindful and put that out into the world and be that person that can listen, which is going to be hard. I feel like it's something that is maybe out of practice more than anything else. I think you're absolutely right in that the the spirit exists, the desire for it exists. It's a question of being of the mindset that this is what I'm going to do. Well, and if you think about, you know, we've all we've all had the experience too of listening in this way even if we even if we didn't think of it in these terms. If you think about like the early stages of a romantic relationship, right? Which, you know, and Billy, Billy talked about that parallel, those late night phone calls where, where it's ending with, all right, we'll hang up on three, one, two, three. <laughs> Did you hang up in those conversations? And when I look back in my own life, I think there, there are definitely times when I've just been sitting there just dazzled with this person across from me and really trying to take in everything they have to offer. And I think part of Liz's point is that you can reverse engineer that in a sense. You can gather with other people whom you don't know as well. And by virtue of listening, you can get to know each other in a deeper way and have that kind of interest in each other. I think about something that I learned from my grandmother that I, that I wrote about a few months ago, which is that so often we love what we understand already. And I really feel like a lesson from her life is that she arrived at understanding through love. So she kind of switched it up. The choice that she made was to love first and understand later. And I think most of us kind of go through our lives on autopilot doing the understanding first and then maybe the love. You know, this listening is a real gift that you're offering to somebody else. And, and Liz's point is that you can offer it to a stranger and you can get something wonderful in return. We'd love to hear your stories of how you're connecting through good listening uh, in all parts of your life. You can give us a call on the dad line. The number is 412-684-DADS. That's plus one, 412-684-3237. Operators are not standing by this week because they are off attending their own listening groups, but we'll pick up your message and give it a solid listen ourselves. And please remember to subscribe to Dadline wherever it is you get your podcasts. Remember, every time someone subscribes, a guy in a wide-brimmed hat makes another box of rolled oats. <laughs>